Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. So based on everything we now know about the shooting death that took place in New Mexico, everything we now know about the death of Helena Hutchins, Alec Baldwin firing the weapon, how the weapon got into his hands, The idea that not everybody up and down the chain has a level of culpability is so absolutely radical as to frighten the soul. And I know what you're saying, but Tony, it it was an accident on a movie set. It is so much greater and deeper than an accident on a movie set. And the response to it as a way of understanding where we are in society equals... The problem, no one takes responsibility. No one's taking responsibility. No one even understands what responsibility is. It is only a question of how much blame you can throw. And it starts from the very beginning when we first heard this story and everybody wanted to throw blame without knowing facts. I got attacked on social media for it. Attacked on social media for asking the question, what do we know? Can you imagine? That is a sin because what you're supposed to hear is, oh, it's Alec Baldwin. He's guilty because he's a bad, evil, disgusting, despicable leftist, and you've got to hate him. I don't like the guy's politics. I think he's a terrible father and a punk of a human being. Damn, he does make me laugh on 30 Rock, but that's about it. I still wanted to know what was happening, and rational people did too. But as this unfurls, you realize that if you think that Alec Baldwin has no culpability in the murder, or do we want to call it the killing because it was accidental? I'm not sure how that terminology is supposed to work. Of Helena Hutchins. If you think that Alec Baldwin isn't culpable, out of your head. If you think he's the only one culpable, I wholeheartedly disagree. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. So good to be with you. 833, got Tony. 833-468-8669. Let's take a look at what we know. It's a movie called Rust, where Alec Baldwin is not only a star, he's a producer. And Alec Baldwin had what they called a prop gun, and it went off, and the cinematographer, Helena Hutchins, was shot and killed. A fragment hit... The director, Joel Souza, he was hit in the shoulder. He's already been released from a hospital. The immediate conversation was how Alec Baldwin is inconsolable. He can't believe this. He's been in touch with the family of Helena Hutchins. Over the weekend, they actually had breakfast together. He's simply inconsolable. Jake Tapper did a whole thing uh, 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 about this. While calling out Republicans, he named three Republicans, for tweeting out something uh, like they were, they were what, glad it happened? No, that's not it. That, oh, it's Alec Baldwin, the anti-gun, super angry, always violent Alec Baldwin, and look what he did. I agree, I don't like those tweets. But Jake Tapper, in his five-minute lecture to America... In his 
Jim Acosta moment never once mentioned the culpability of Alec Baldwin, and this is the problem. Alec Baldwin is in this movie. Alec Baldwin has the gun. Turns out the gun was not what they call a cold gun. The gun had a projectile in it. The cinematographer is killed. The director is hurt. We then learn that there is not really an armorer on set. That's what we first heard. What is an armorer? An armorer is the person who takes care of these kinds of weapons, different than a prop person. The armorer that we learned is actually on set, Hannah Gutierrez-Reed, she's described as nervous. She's described as green and as new and maybe a way that the movie saves some money by not getting somebody who was more professional. We hear stories about how uh, she was working with the firearms and maybe cleaning them or or loading them uh, with blanks on the ground amongst dirt and pebbles and other things. Who would do such a thing? No one. No one of a rational mind. Then we learn that the gun isn't a prop gun. It was allegedly used for offset target practice. This according to TMZ. So we have a gun that may or may not have been a prop gun, actually a, a an actual firearm that was loaded with projectiles and fired offset for target practice? That was used in a film and an actor was told to point it at the cinematographer and fire. Wait, wait, wait. That's not how it went down, now is it? Because we also hear that the first assistant director is somebody who runs a very, very sloppy ship. Has been cited before and people have complained before about the way they work with firearms about the kind of of things they do. This assistant director, Dave Halls, is who we're talking about. You see, it was Dave Halls who took uh, the gun and brought it to Baldwin and said, cold gun. Cold gun would tell the actor, there's no rounds in it. There's, it's, it's, it's not a live weapon. And you would think, well, that's it. You've got an armorer who didn't quite know what they were doing. You got a first assistant director who didn't take the time to make sure that the gun was indeed a cold gun. Next thing you know, somebody got shot. But that's not the whole of the story. The whole of the story doesn't even go to the reporting um, of of whether uh, the armorer was somebody who was a bit careless whether the first director uh, is somebody who didn't check the weapon. But it goes to Alec Baldwin himself. According to the search warrant that was executed by the Santa Fe County Sheriff's Office, this all took place in New Mexico, Baldwin and the crew were setting up a shot that required Baldwin to cross-draw a revolver and point the weapon at the camera. So picture the firearm is on his left hip. He's going to grab with his right hand across his body, and then pull it up, right? That very dramatic look. Me, I would not be crossbody. I'm too big. Wouldn't 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 work for me. Although if I was, uh, if you had a holster, then then you would. So it could have been a holster, right? Crossbody. You got your right hand grabbed to your left side. You pull. 
when they realized that there was a shadow coming from a local church on set, they moved the shot. And then they were work- he was working, Baldwin was, Alec Baldwin, working with the director and the cinematographer, and he was demonstrating, okay, so this is how I see it. This is how I'm going to pull it out. And at that moment, he draws the revolver, the one that was put together by the armor, the one that was told to him was a cold gun by the first assistant director, and he pulls the gun, and that's when Halia Hutchins... Halia Hutchins was shot. In that moment of blocking the shot, Halina Hutchins was shot. Except that doesn't tell the whole story, now does it? Because all of that does not answer the question of why was Alec Baldwin's hand or finger on the trigger? Did Alec Baldwin check the weapon himself? You talk to actors and to an actor. They check, they double check, they recheck. All firearm safety protocols require the holder of the weapon to check the weapon. Alec Baldwin clearly did not do this. Alec Baldwin did not do this before he put it in his holster because as we hear from the reporting, it was on the cart. It was handed to, uh, handed to him, given to him. Cold, cold gun. He never checked. He never rechecked. His finger was on the trigger. If you take a look at the first four rules of fire safety, the four rules of fire safety, always treat every gun like it's loaded. Never put your finger on the trigger unless you're ready to fire. Never point at something you're not looking to destroy. Always know your target and what lies behind it. These are the rules. So Alec Baldwin, in two different occasions, did not pay attention to the rules at all and in any way. He did not check the weapon. He did not act as if the weapon was loaded. He did not care uh, about obliterating the target. He had his finger on the trigger and he had no idea what was behind the people he was working with. There are a multiplicity of failures here that led to this woman's death. A multiplicity. Do I know where the armor is right now? I have absolutely, positively no idea. Is she safe? Is she scared? Is she suicidal? Her mistake killed somebody. That's what she's thinking. And what is media saying? Oh, Alec Baldwin didn't know. He was, he was handed this gun. Oh, my gosh. How terrible. Allow me to say to you, it is terrible, but every single person in the chain is culpable. If you're going to ask me whether or not The armorer is culpable. I'm going to say yes. And if you're going to ask me whether or not the first uh, AD is is culpable, I'm going to say yes. And if you ask me if Alec Baldwin is culpable, I'm going to say yes. They're all culpable. So why is it that we simply cannot say so in this rational, simple way? They failed at their task, all of them. Not one bit of safety, 
got checked, double-checked, and rechecked. Everybody just assumed everything was fine, or they were lazy, or as, as you're hearing some of the union people discuss it, they were overworked. There are reports that, that members of the crew left because they thought the work conditions were unsafe. You know, the unions are all over this saying, this is why you need union representation here, there, and everywhere, and they're going to have a dang point. But there is this immediate defense of Alec Baldwin when it should not be. There should not have been an immediate attack on Alec Baldwin. The same exact thing. There was no need for the attack. There was no need for the defense. There was only a need for understanding what the heck had happened. What happened? And the amount of people on both sides of the aisle who didn't give a good holy damn about what happened. That's the part. That's the part that is killing us. Let me tell you, if I had been just someone who screamed, oh, Alec Baldwin's a murderer, I'd probably be on 150 stations right now. You know it and I know it. People don't want, it's like they don't even want to think. Just go right to it. I was very happy to see Kurt Schlichter over at Town Hall you know I do work with the Town Hall Properties, my video series at redstate.com. It's a VIP uh, series uh, called the DC Outsider. You can go to redstate.com, use promo code CATS, K-A-T-Z, and, uh, and you'll get your great discount. Kurt Schlichter, who you've heard on this show, uh, the, the, the colonel and the, and the author, writes at Town Hall, Alec Baldwin got to play his dream role last week, and unfortunately for an innocent woman, it was method acting version of Ted Kennedy. Now, you note that I am mocking a guy whose probable gross negligence killed a lady and maimed a man, and this raises an important question. Do we really want to live in a world where our reaction to a tragedy caused by an enemy is not sorrow and compassion, but mockery? And he responds with, it doesn't matter what we want. We do live in such a world, in large part due to the likes of Alec Baldwin. Kurt's argument is one that we all can understand. That Alec Baldwin is a terrible guy. An absolutely, positively awful guy. Low class and low rent. Alec Baldwin is a two-bit jerk punk. That's what he is. Makes me laugh. Uh, uh, Hunt for Red October and Glenn Gary Glenn Ross, I can watch all day. But still, he's proven himself. To be the kind of man no one should ever want their sons to grow up to be. And Kurt is a not-play-nice kind of guy. Neither am I to, to, to many extents. But I have rules that I must live by. Kurt's argument is these are the rules that these people want to live by. And it's up to us to be nice. It's up to us to have some level of humanity. I put forth to you that there absolutely is up to us to have some level of humanity. But having a level of humanity, recognizing that this woman is dead and she did nothing wrong, Helena Hutchins, remember that name. It doesn't do us any good to say, well, look at what Alec Baldwin tweeted 15 years ago. I guess it's funny now, something about, I wonder what it's like to kill someone. He actually tweeted that out, which I agree, weird thing to tweet. He tweeted that out. 
Why are we bringing it up now? People are looking just for the dig and the grab. Oh, I gotcha. I don't think any of that's necessary. But I'm not going to let Jake Tapper get away with trying to protect somebody who is culpable in a woman's murder. And you shouldn't either. And the people who do that are wrong. Facts and understanding of the case allows us to understand what it is we're dealing with so we can rationalize what should be. Utilizing logic and reason. Utilizing uh, the facts on the ground. Utilizing what we know throughout culture and history. This is what we should want. And I'm going to be good and damned if I don't get it. I'm going to keep fighting for it. Alec Baldwin is not the only person responsible, but you better believe he has culpability. And I believe all of them should be charged. I'm Tony Katz. That's right. He wouldn't. And look, there's still plenty of time. He can still switch parties if he wants to. I encourage him to do so. Uh, There's no reason why he belongs with the party of inflation, why he belongs with the party of lawlessness, why he ought to remain with the party that's harassing, intimidating and belittling him at every turn, just so they can fundamentally remake the American economy and American society. No, that's Senator Mike Lee, who thinks Joe Manchin should be a Republican and he's encouraging Manchin to join the Republican Party. I mean, why not? Why not do it? But this 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 is not happening. The latest is that Manchin believes there will be a deal on a conceptual framework on Biden's package this week, saying, and I'm quoting here, I think a framework should be, it really should be, uh, uh, well, I don't know what that means, I think a framework should be, but he's concerned about expanding benefits and has pushed back on Medicare expansion, saying he's still at $1.5 trillion. I have got everything coming up on this social spending bill nonsense. It's so maddening. And then, if you didn't hear Ocasio-Cortez, oh, oh, it's so precious. It is so... Look, she might be a good friend to people, but she's an absolutely horrific politician, a fool of a politician, and just flat-out dangerous. I mean, she should be derided at this stage of the game. I've I've done all the niceties I can. When it comes to policy, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez couldn't lead couldn't create, couldn't innovate. She's just a taker. I've got those stories coming up. I'm Tony Katz. So Joe Biden needs to figure out how he's going to pay for his proposals and his programs. The whole social spending thing. Remember, this was the infrastructure package. It was the infrastructure package that they could not get past the Senate because they didn't have Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema on board. Me, I'm Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. 833-GOT-TONY. Would love to hear from you. 833-468-8669. They couldn't get these senators on board. Manchin didn't want to spend $3.5 trillion. Somebody's worried about inflation. Oh, we're going to talk about inflation. Don't you worry about that. How many more warning signs do we need about what's coming? Hope you made your big purchases now. 
Ari and I have a quasi bet about where interest rates are going to go. I don't think it's good. Ari thinks that this market can handle anything. Oh, I have the utmost faith. It's a conversation of modern monetary theory. And we're going we're gonna to dig into it this week. We're going to bring some people on, hopefully be able to coordinate all that. How people view where the economy is. Man, you're talking about having a lot of faith and a willingness for people to say, yeah, we don't care. But I think markets do care. But I could be proven wrong. We'll get into it. But what we saw was this, this with, with this, this craziness of the spending, the social spending bill. Of course, uh, Manchin and Cinema wouldn't go for it. And uh, to uh, respond, the House Progressive Caucus said, well, we're not going to vote for the $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill. So now, right, because they're, they're vindictive people who want their ideological way. So now they're calling it a social spending bill. But they got to get this paid for. They keep claiming that it's not going to cost anything. Every time you turn around, they're claiming it's not going to cost anything. This was the White House Deputy Press Secretary basically arguing with Peter Ducey over at Fox News. We are being uh, honest with the American people. We are being proper. No, it it is. We are. It is costing. uh, It is going to bring zero dollars to the to the deficit, and we're being very clear about that because that's what we want to make sure that we're doing right. Because here, once again, we have had people who have been left behind after this after this uh, the COVID nineteen pandemic that we've been living in for a year and a half. We saw even more more severely how 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 much people have been left behind, and not just been from the COVID. I mean, before then, uh, people, middle class people, working people have been not part of the economy. And now we want to deal them back in. It's been a long time since we did that. The president talked about that when he was in Scranton, Pennsylvania yesterday. He's going to talk about that, take questions uh, from everyday people today uh, at the CNN town hall, which he's very much looking forward to. And he'll probably be asked that question and he'll answer it as well tonight. So for clarity, there's a cost, but it's not to the death. It doesn't raise the deficit. These things we do. for this legislation, Peter, is zero dollars. It's no way zero dollars. We all know this. Any of my small business peeps out there, 833 got Tony, 833-468-8669. To my small business people, do you think it's zero dollars? And let me ask you a more, a more specific question. How do you think this economy over the next six months is going to affect you? And your business. What planning are you doing now? Because all all business owners are forecasting out. Every single one of them is forecasting out. I, me, Tony Katz, me. I, every six months, go over my six-month, one-year, five-year plan. Every six months. And I have been doing this for over a decade. I always sit down. Me and my big-ass whiteboard which I didn't get till recently. Oh, but it's beautiful. It's a three by four. It's hot, producer Ari. You do it it on a whiteboard? That seems like not the most efficient method. I need to visualize what it is that I'm doing and where it is I need to go. Like an Excel document isn't going to do it? Nope. I can't. I can't. I have to physically write it down. All right, you know what? Do what works, baby. I'm doing doing what works. Honestly, if I could do it with, like, puppets, I would do that. Just you know, I, I need to I need to talk to myself. I need I need to hear things back. I, all of it. It's just the way I work, man. 
me, me on my back deck with a cigar talking to myself about the plan, that's pretty standard. That happens often. But business owners do this all the time. 833, got Tony, 833-468-8669. Then, as all of this is happening in there, they, they keep lying to us. I hear Janet Yellen. Janet Yellen, the Treasury Secretary, is discussing on CNN the idea that we need a tax on unrealized capital gains. Well, um, I think what's under consideration is a proposal that uh, Senator Wyden and the Senate Finance Committee have been looking at that would um, impose um, a tax on unrealized capital gains um, on liquid assets held by extremely wealthy individuals, billionaires. Um, I wouldn't call that a wealth tax, but um, it would help get at uh, capital gains, which um, are an extraordinarily large part of the incomes of the wealthiest individual. Unrealized? Meaning they bought a stock, the stock went up, they haven't sold the stock yet, but they, the government wants to tax these people. I, I thought that, that it was a misprint. I saw that, I said, that's, a, that's insane, but that is the administration. What does it actually all mean? Matt Will joins us right now, economist. Uh, there, a professor, University of Indianapolis, Matt Will, M-A-T-T-W-I-L-L uh, dot com. And uh, Dr. Will, this statement from the Treasury Secretary, Janet Yellen, you responded with a piece from the Wall Street Journal that I want to get to. But first things first, has anybody ever suggested taxing people on unrealized gains? How would you go about doing it? And what are the problems they're in? <laughs> the, the answer is yes, they've suggested it. It was done during the presidential campaign. Almost every Democrat running for office suggested it, including Biden. Um, the damage it would do, Tony, it, it's incalculable. Because uh, according to the proposal currently on the table, it would be an annual wealth tax. That means that every single year, a portion of the wealth of individuals that is unrealized will be taken away. So if you were to sit there and do nothing, eventually all of your wealth would be taken away by doing nothing. You cannot imagine how bad this will be for capital formation in our country. Because if you are a wealthy individual, you're an entrepreneur, you're creating thousands and thousands of jobs and billions of dollars of GDP growth for our country, you're gonna go somewhere else. Let's make sure we understand what you mean by taking away wealth. Let's say I buy $100 worth of, and name your stock, I buy $100 worth of, uh, of stock in, in, a, in, a, in a company. Uh, and so I own those 100 shares. The government isn't taking my 100 shares, so they're not taking that from me, are they? Oh, in essence, they are, Tony, because what you have to do is you must sell that stock in order to pay the taxes. You're required to liquidate your wealth. It's kind of like property taxes, Tony, this is one of the biggest problems I personally have, is if you're a retiree on a fixed income and you live in a home that's fully paid for with no loans on it, you still have to pay taxes every year simply for existing and living in a home. And that is abominable because what if you don't have the income to pay it? You have to liquidate the asset to pay the taxes. So no, they're not forcing you to, to liquidate your investments. 
but you have no choice if you don't have another source of income to pay it. Talking to Dr. Matt Will, economist, University of Indianapolis. I, I oppose property taxes for a great number of reasons, uh, the, the highest of which it, it proves that you don't actually own your property. You rent it from the state, which is not how we're supposed to do anything. But I want to make sure I go over this again. They're saying what they want to do is tax the unrealized gain. The stock started at price X. It was X plus 10. They want to tax on the gain. Your argument is in order to pay that tax, you may have to sell the underlying stock to pay the taxes. Now they have indeed, by doing so, taken wealth away from you. But isn't it more that they've taken away your ability to now future plan what you would do with those gains? Exactly, Tony, because when you're an investor, you put your money at risk. You tie it up for very long periods of time. And really, they're going after what's called private equity. And yes, there's public equity like the Jeff Bezos and the, you know, the Elon Musks of the world. But really, they're looking at private investors, the ones who roll up their sleeves every day, make the wealth for this country. And they're going after those individuals who have made long-term commitments, maybe six, seven, eight, ten-year commitments. They're going to have to get out sell at fire sale prices to get the money to pay the taxes. This is absolutely absurd. And now they'll come back, Tony, and say, well, it only applies to a certain percentage. It's a small, it's only the super wealthy. Well, Tony, when you look at the details of this, it's more than the super wealthy. And they said the same thing about the 16th Amendment in 1909. And this is where it gets interesting. You had put out the tweet. I thought that, you know, I'm somebody who opposes the federal income tax. States can do income taxes. I don't believe the federal government should be allowed to. You put out on Twitter at Dr. Matt Will, D-R-M-A-T-T-W-I-L-L, at Dr. Matt Will on Twitter, 100% false, and you uh, connect to a Wall Street Journal article. It's a bait and switch. The constitutional amendment that authorized the income tax was promised to only apply to the top 1% of the population. Now we all pay. So when Janet Yellen, the Treasury Secretary is saying this applies to the billionaires, you're calling shenanigans. I am, because first of all, if you look at the details, they're doing a surtax on 3% above incomes of 5 million. Now again, who of us on this, on this call, definitely not me, is making $5 million a year. But that's beside the point. It's a, it's, a, it's a class warfare. It's a trick, Tony, to convince you to say, well, only the other people will pay, just like in 1909. Only the 1%, only the the J.P. Morgans and the Henry Fords will pay. No, Tony, that's where it starts. The government is a massive growing entity, and they will come after you. They will increase your taxes. And even in this proposal, the marginal tax rate for middle income goes up. The marginal tax rate for middle income individuals also goes up in this proposal. First, I got to admit, I, I love the fact that he thinks of the two of us. I'm the one making five million a year. I, I love that from Dr. Matt Will, mattwill.com. Secondly, you realize so quickly how dangerous this administration is. Now I want to go to the people who want to tell me that it doesn't matter who the president is. It doesn't affect me. Yes, it does. These policies, these ideas, these thoughts, they all affect you. They all have an effect on your life. How about just the basic one? That this administration does not have an off button when it comes to how much money they want you to spend on their desires. 
because they want you to spend a lot of money on their desires. They have a never-ending amount of dollars that they are okay with. Remember, they're now talking about $1.5 trillion because that's where Manchin is comfortable. I'm going to get more into that. But it's $1.5 trillion, and what makes you think they're done at that number? And they keep saying how it's paid for. It's clearly not paid for if they are now going down this road about unrealized capital gains, which is the idea of saying you are not entitled to a profit. You are not entitled to growth. We make people pay their fair share, quote unquote, by just seeing what we can take from them. That's our job. That's our purpose. That's what we're about. What can we take? What can we keep taking? What can we keep grabbing? How much more work can we do to take what is, you know, well, yours and make it theirs? And this proves it. And what I like about that conversation with Dr. Will is that he's not he's not playing around the edges on it. This is exactly where it is. This is exactly what it's going to lead to. Your life is worse off by magnitudes because of the power-hungry nature of these people. And these people are crazy, crazy power-hungry. Well, they're ideological, and the ideological means that they have to have the power in order to institute the ideology, and if it means you have to go broke so they can prove to you how good they are and how great their ideology is, well, so be it. That's how it works. I'm Tony Katz. Turn all the lights on! Where did you read that, Producer Ari? I just saw it on IndiePolitics.org. That Todd Young, senator from Indiana, is up for reforming the filibuster? Well, there's a difference between reforming the filibuster and getting rid of the filibuster. So I'm just curious. He just said he, he just said he's open to reforming it, which where he's means at. nothing, but that could mean anything. Like, he did not say get rid of it. He just said, you know, we can, we can talk about reforming it, which, okay. Uh, I'm just saying how people are going to take that, and they're going to take that as, oh, Todd. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It is so good uh, to be with you. Facebook, t- Facebook Tony Katz Radio. Uh, much better. I do actually want to hear from uh, the business owners. I want to hear what's going on with them. I want to see what they're dealing with and how they're planning uh, the next six months. 833-GOT-TONY, 833-468-8669. The problem with those kinds of maneuvers... If we were to take it just at, at, at that, you know, uh, um, that, you know, he's like, hmm, we should reform this. It's it's taken as weakness, and especially from Todd Young, who's in leadership. And here's how the story goes. He says, while, it's still, while he's open to reforming the filibuster, it should still take 60 votes to procedurally bring a vote to the floor in the Senate. That's not reforming the filibuster. Yeah, it doesn't sound like a reform. What Democrats want to do, so we all understand each other, what Democrats want is for Republicans not to be able to stop them. What we should look at it as is you wouldn't want the minority party to be able to stop the majority party. 
as opposed to winning people over with good ideas, you should simply be able to roll over people. You should be able to just roll them over and tell those Republicans to kiss off and die in a fire and do your thing. That's what the Democratic Party wants. That's what the progressives want. Nothing else matters, so there is no reform that even begins to matter. What they want is control and power for forever. Because their ideology demands that. More on the social spending bill coming up. I'm Tony Katz.